1: Boston Celtics take down the Atlanta Hawks, one thirteen to one o three. Then it's the three man weave united for the newest segment, passing the rock, where we hit everything from a busy week in Celtics coverage. That and more coming up next here on Green with Uh Envy. What up, what up, what up? Welcome into another edition of Green with Envy. As always, it's your boy, Will Weir, checking in. How you doing? How you living? Big dub in the TD Garden for the Boston Celtics, 113-103 to over the Atlanta Hawks. Joining me here to break it all down is my best friend, co-host, and the coach of our podcast, the one and only Greg Minakis. What it do, bro?
2: What's good, man? Great win. Uh, We might have to readjust the thumbnail that we put up on the video from earlier today for Passing the Rock, because I don't know if there's a Jason Tatum problem.
1: (laughs) I mean, I don't know if there is either. And this is sometimes the, you know, little little, little behind the scenes here for for y'all tuning in. This is the issue when we try to figure out the schedule sometimes, right? And why we always try to post very as close to, you know, whenever we record as it is, because things change. Things change, and so you know you'll hear for those of you listening on the um, on the podcast version here, you'll hear this in the second half. We recorded Sunday morning. Myself, Greg, Adam, we hit a whole wide ranging uh, scope of topics surrounding the Celtics and the NBA. One of which is is there a little bit of a Jason Tatum problem? Certainly not the case tonight. But I do think there's some things that that we can get into from that. Um, but you know, one quick programming note that I do want to mention here is a uh, little bit of big news here. We're creating a Discord page, guys. We want to be more interactive with those of you listening to us here on YouTube and those of you that listen to the podcast and those of you that maybe cross over and do both and follow us across socials. Uh, We want to be a little bit more interactive, so you're going to hear us over the next couple of weeks Uh, keep mentioning this Discord page, and if you're curious how to join, Check down in the description box, whether it's on YouTube, whether it's Spotify, whether it's Apple or one of those niche podcasting systems I know some of you crazy kids like to use just to be different. It's going to be in those descriptions. It's going to be in our bios. So tune in, check that out, and uh, you'll hear it again here if you listen on the podcast form and not YouTube. You're going to hear uh, a little bit more from Adam about what that looks like, what you're going to see, uh, but should be a fun time. Anything you want to add to that here, Greg?
2: Yeah, when you go to the Discord, just let us know where you tuned in from. Are you a pod listener? Are you a YouTube uh, viewer? Uh, Did you follow us on Twitter? Just let us know so that we can kind of track who's joining the Discord. That would be helpful for us just to know where where the people are listening.
1: Yeah, and we appreciate everybody for joining in. And like I said, we just want to keep taking this to the next level. So with that said, let's do what we do after every game here. And let's hit it up with a morning box score. The Boston Celtics take down the Atlanta Hawks 113 to 103 in the TD Garden. Let's start with the Atlanta Hawks. DeAndre Hunter, 7 of 14, 24 points, 4 rebounds. Not going to lie, that kind of snuck up on me that DeAndre Hunter had 24 points in this game as obviously Trey Young and Bogdan Bogdanovich really felt like they carried the load offensively. Bogdan Bogdanovich, 8 of 12 and was an 8 of 8 at one point, had 23 points and 7 rebounds for the Hawks. 33 points, five rebounds, seven assists for Trey Young. Let's flip it over to the Celtics here. Like we said, we talk about in the second half of the podcast, a little bit of struggles from Jason Tatum. Tonight, not the case. 34 points, nine rebounds, four assists. Did have six turnovers on only 11 of 25 shooting, but still a really great game from Jason Tatum. Jalen Brown, nine of 19 from the field, seven rebounds, three assists. 21 points on the night for him. Derek White doing it all just like he does each and every night. 15 points and 11 assists for Derek White. Al Horford. 15 rebounds in this one, 12 points for Sam Hauser off the bench. And of course we'll get to it, but our guy Nemias looking like Mitchell Robinson out here, yeah. seven points, 10 rebounds, six of them on the offensive glass for the Celtics tonight. They dominate on the glass. A lot of big rebounding numbers for the Celtics tonight across that box score 66 to 50, the edge for the Celtics on the glass. They win the second chance point 17 to eight points in the paint 46 to 34 greg a lot of good stats coming out of this one for the celtics who take home a 10 point dub what do you look at as to what was the key to success with the celtics missing two starters in this game no drew holiday who was a game time decision with that ankle injury and then chris taps porzingis with that calf they're going to give that a little bit of a time he might be out for a few games so down two starters what was it to you that was most important to help the celtics get the dub?
2: Well, these are the games that the Jays really need to step up, and I think they set the tone early in this game. You know, Tatum, of those six turnovers that he had, I I feel like a lot of them were pretty early on in the game, Um, especially in pick and roll. They were trapping him pretty hard, sending two to the ball, and Tatum did a really good job getting off the ball early and uh, starting the the pass-first mindset, which Jalen Brown then continued into the fourth quarter. You know, after the last game in Orlando where Jalen really struggled and everyone struggled against that Mm -hmm. great Magic defense, you know, you, you were wondering what type of mindset he'd have in this game. You know, he had that crazy dunk that he threw down on Capella. But to me, it was the processing in the fourth quarter. They they continue to go to Jalen Brown to initiate offense and to be a playmaker to get him those reps and it's been you know to mixed results as we're going to talk about in the second yeah. half of the pod for those listening to the pod but tonight was a really good example of why you want to continue to give him those reps although atlanta is not a good defensive team it is important for jalen to start making the right reads even against the bad team so eventually as he goes up against more physical defenders and better schemes overall he's able to make some of the reads maybe not all of the reads, to the level which he did tonight but the very easy things that jalen did like his post creation passing out of the post where we had seen jalen brown kind of going to that little fadeaway baseline that he hit um i think it was in the third quarter or early fourth yeah we went
1: across the middle i think it might have been on bogdanovich if i remember correctly
2: right and he had a couple opportunities in the post in the fourth quarter and i thought he was going to go to his shot because that's what jalen brown does and he didn't he he even overpassed on one point where he had the the shot on bay and then he he kind of got caught in midair looking for a pass out to the perimeter and turned the ball over i think that was his one turnover in the fourth quarter but overall really impressed with jalen brown's um willingness to play within the offense in this game that's what you need to see out of jalen and then tatum you know he he wasn't quite MVP for him tonight, but he was pretty damn close to it, and he was, he was the best player on the court. Trey Young wasn't far behind him on the offensive side of the ball, and then JB also had a wonderful game.
1: Yeah, I mean JB, it's 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 so funny, man. It it really just comes down to his decision making. That's that's really kind of the the breaking point each night for Jalen Brown, is is of course, you know, is the shot going in? But that's every single player. You know, are they hitting shots? Because even if you're making bad decisions, it looks a lot better when the ball's going in, right? So I, I think with Jalen Brown, you look at the Milwaukee game and you look at this game tonight, and you know, you and I talk a lot about how we look at a basketball player is do i generally agree with the decision that they're making on the court and in those two particular games and the first half of that magic game the answer has been yes so i think this was you know a, a really nice night for Jalen brown and being one of those teams one of those you know tier three tier four teams wherever you want to slot the hawks in the nba these are the games where you want Jalen brown throughout the different stretches of the game to be able to to kind of carry that load so it's not all on Tatum and especially on a night where you don't have holiday you don't have Porzingis to rely on you need him to be reliable enough to to be able to handle in stretches where he's leading a second unit that has Pritchard, Cornette, White, and Hauser out there right that's like you you and Derek White are the ones that are that are shepherding that load right there so Mm -hmm. you know that, that was really good to see out of Jalen Brown. You mentioned with Tatum, you know, the six turnovers, they get a little bit sloppy at different times. That's something we'll touch on again in that second half of the podcast. Here, looking at some of his assistant turnover numbers over the last, you know, six games or so. It's it's kind of close to that Jalen Brown, you know, one-to-one ratio. Uh, and that's something that needs to get better. But this was a really good Jason Tatum game, so I don't want to harp on that. 34 points, nine rebounds was very aggressive from that standpoint. And then I think, Greg, for me, I I was looking at Derek White tonight and a big thing that we talk about with, you know, let's take Tatum away from it. But with Jalen Porzingis and Holiday, one of the things that we're noticing early on in the season is sometimes it's a little bit too equal opportunity. and, And it's been coming really hard, not not always hard, but at times difficult to find out whose turn it is to do what, who's about to step up and do what they need to do. And Derek white is the guy that we don't have to worry about that because it feels like when he does, when he needs to step up and, and kind of take, take advantage of opportunities like holiday and Porzingis being out, he can do so without, You know, ruining the flow, and then also when those guys are there, know when to take a step back. But then also know, hey, I got a hot hand, or I have a mismatch, and know when to take advantage of that. Just another great example tonight, I thought from Derek White. wasn't hitting the three ball tonight, but got to the line five times, had eleven assists, had four rebounds, had three steals, fifteen points, eleven assists. Hard to ask for more on Derek White in the night when he doesn't have his backcourt mate with Drew Holiday.
2: Yeah, and with White, you know, if, if you're not paying attention to the little things that he's doing on the court especially going up against trey young when we're in a deep drop coverage it's easy to be like oh derek white's getting cooked tonight because like trey young did give it to him for sure um but that's more of a schematic thing than just a mm-hmm. D white thing you know he's in lock and trail that whole time um when we sit in, in drop and that's just something that we had to make an adjustment to as a as a team when when we took uh Kata, who i want to talk about here in a second when we took yeah. him Game we went to Banton we went to Horford and we started switching everything so that Trey couldn't just pull up for wide open threes and that really made a difference. I think JB when he was matched up with Trey did a really good job bothering yeah. with his length. Um, I think that got, some... got
1: Trey to get a technical early in the game when he bottled him up and, and Trey was getting frustrated.
2: Right, and that you know JB gets a lot of hate for his off ball defense, but I have really liked his ability to contain guys like Trey Young this year. It seems like he's taking that. Um, you know, taking up that mantle this year to follow in the footsteps of Drew Holiday and Derek White and just be a pest on the ball, especially um when we're in that drop coverage. But, um, you know, I want to talk about Kada because let's do it.
1: Kata Big had, Mimi. Big Mimi got a lot of fans tonight.
2: If you look at the the minute distribution, Kada played fifteen minutes to Cornets nine. Mm-hmm. Now, I know Kata's is a young guy. He hasn't played in the NBA before, um was a great G league player. Um, Brendan Nunez, Nunez from the from the Kings, he was like, "Oh, you're you're getting a fun prospect for sure." When we asked him what we what to expect out of Kada and everybody was so hyped from the small glimpses we saw from Kada during the preseason, and we haven't had the opportunity to see him this year. But now with Porzingis being out, Keta's gonna have to play over the next week or two, however long Porzingis is out. Yeah. And when you see the instincts that he has, um, you know, anytime someone's going towards really good at moving his feet they had him in drop he still you know was a little indecisive but he's going up against one of the best pick and roll players in the league and he made trey overthink things a couple of times forced him into a, a couple of turnovers and not many bigs are able to do that against trey young and kata just the fact that he's huge that guy is huge he's massive he's, on a the pre- court. he's
1: a presence right he's, he's, and that's real presence and that's sometimes what we've talked about before is like just that size and obviously luke seven two but Kate is, Kate is a, a big, a much bigger time athlete than, oh, yeah. you know, than, than Luke up, is up court, exactly. Yeah. And uh, I thought one of my favorite lines tonight was, uh, I think Scal said something to the effect of, I love watching Kate almost make all these shots. You know, <laughs> yeah. he went, he went three of eight and, you know, he, he had some, looks. I even thought, you know, we, we just praised Jalen Brown's decision making. I thought Jalen actually missed Kata a couple times where yeah. he might've had Kate on some roles, but that's obviously not playing Tim, together. You're yeah, not, I, not sure I was, to look for it.
2: I was wondering if it was like, do I like, did he not see it or was he like, I don't know if I trust this guy yet?
1: Yeah, there could right. be a couple of factors. This is yeah. why I'm not going to make like a, a big deal on that. Like I have no idea where the relationship is in practice. Like Kate back end of the bench guy. And then you have obviously JB's an all-star starter. So, uh, so it could be a little bit of disconnect there, but, uh, I thought his, his activity was huge in this game, right? Just the activity that he had. Uh, on the offense, like I said, Mitchell Robinson, like six offensive rebounds in 15 minutes. Like that's crazy to be mm-hmm. able to have that type of activity. Wasn't shy three of eight, got his shots up there and he, and he took all the right shots too. Right. You know, and I think there's more opportunity for him. And this is something we talk about, you know, when we start passing the rock around with Adam later on here is, you know, what does that backup rotation look like? And you say something at one point where, you know, if Luke's the guy for eight to 10 minutes, it's great. But mm-hmm. if you need to kind of extend, what do you do? And this is where you look at this minutes distribution. And I still think probably if you have a fully healthy team and you need to keep your consistency, keep with your, you know, identity and basketball philosophy, Luke still might be the guy over Cada for eight to ten minutes because it's just going to be a little bit more reliable and known. That could be that could change matchup dependent. But over this next stretch it was like you said. I would assume Porzingis is probably out at least the next week where the Celtics are going to have multiple days off where, you know, whether or not they make the in-season tournament knockout rounds, which is still a possibility, but it's a little bit, you know, it's going to take a lot to get there. There's going to be a few days off while they redo all the scheduling they need to do. And so likely after that game on Friday against the Sixers, there's a chance there's Saturday, Sunday, Monday and Tuesday could be up to four days off. That the celtics have so if you're going to rest for Zingus you might as well take advantage of this time in the schedule to do so and so that leaves opportunity for for big nimi and i know you know based off like you said in the preseason he's a fan favorite tonight especially the game being at home everybody was rocking i saw some tweets about him getting big ovations inside the garden and uh know, yeah, this is gonna be a big chance for him to prove you know i need to be getting just as much run as Cornette or maybe more, or I'm ready. Like you don't need to go make a trade. I'm here to keep improving, you know, game over game. So I'm really excited for the, this little big Nimi run that we hopefully have coming here over the next few games.
2: It kind of reminds me a little bit, not, quite to the degree because I don't think Nimi's as good as Rob and I don't think Cornette is as good as Tice but just Mm -hmm. in terms of philosophy when Brad Stevens just wasn't willing to play Rob Williams early on in his career because he knew Daniel Tice was his security blanket right and he was like I know Daniel Tice is always going to be in the right place he might have some physical limitations that might um, cause him to get dunked on whereas Rob might send that shit back or Rob might not even be in the play to send that (laughs) shit back but Tice will be there right and with Cornette, I think that's what he's, he's able to offer. Like right? He's, he's able to offer that he's always going to be there. He's going to be solid. You know that in a pinch you can put Luke out there and he's going to be able to, to um, run a nice pick and roll. He's going to be able to play out of the dunker spot, but he's not going to be able to be a game changer. Mm-hmm. And when you look at Caden, you see these flashes. I'm not saying he's going to be a game changer over 82 games, but hey, he was a game changer tonight. So for yeah. before before people like, oh, dude, like, fucking relaxed. Nemus Cater is not going to... Like, he might actually be a game changer in
1: a handful of. i mean real quick year. think about this think think about if you could have matched his athleticism with mark williams against the hornets a couple nights ago right right like that's like a that's that, that's, a, that's a that's a little thing that makes a difference in a game the celtics lost that maybe it doesn't get to overtime if you have kata in that position and, and he's given some more problems to mark williams who basically was a, a I, don't know, I guess better version of kata in that game right. Right? yeah
2: yeah they kind of they kind of move similarly too yeah um you know it's interesting like with Kada, I kind of want to just throw him into the fucking fire, man, against the Sixers. Like, let's see how he does against Embiid, <laughs> you know? I mean, I mean we honestly, like,
1: he's going to create a bunch of fouls anyway, so who cares if, if Nimi plays 15 minutes and has five fouls? Like, Embiid's going to pick up fouls. So I'm with you. So I kind of hope that happens. Uh, that's exciting to see what's going to happen with Nimi coming up here. Uh, One last thing I wanted to touch on before we go is, you know, obviously this was kind of not, not hyped up as much, but this was a a playoff rematch from last year. The Mm. Jalen Johnson news was, was really tough for the, for the Hawks. I thought he was, I thought, I thought if I look back to last year, obviously Trey towards the end of the series came on, but then it was DeJounte Murray and Jalen Johnson were easily the two most impressive players for the Hawks, you know, up to about games five or six when Trey young really started to, to come back alive, but you obviously know Jalen Johnson. And DeJounte Murray was just a no-show in this game. You know, two of 13 from the field, only six points on the night for him. Four the Ronald Banton effect? I, I mean, I was going to ask you, what what was the case for this? You know, Joe goes to goes to the curveball with Banton starting instead of Hauser. And, you know, I, I think from a sizing perspective, that made a lot of sense. And, you know, Banton played solid. I wouldn't say it was, you know, uh, anything crazy, but he, but he was solid.
2: Yeah, I do think that was the reason why they went to Banton is because of Murray and his midi game that he loves to get mm-hmm. to. Like Murray's so long, I think he's got an over seven foot wingspan despite being like six three, six four. Yeah, and Banton, I mean, they talk talk about long. That guy, you know, he's talked about six nine, six eight, six seven, whatever he is. He's long, right? So he was gonna, he was gonna be on the court to give DeJounte Murray problems. I really liked how Banton played. We haven't really touched on uh, you know, his, his performance tonight, but he was three for five from the field. He had five rebounds. I love the way that he was attacking the glass. He was playing well out of the dunker spot. Um, he had a couple nice plays where he, he, I mean, he's a point guard by trade, although he had, doesn't have a lot of reps out at it, the NBA level. So he does mm-hmm. see the floor pretty well. Um, I, I really liked what I saw out of Banton, but I think that contributed to DeJounte Murray's struggles. And then, you know, Jalen Brown being matched up on him a few times. I think uh, also JB's physicality gives Murray some issues as well.
1: Um, yeah, shout yeah. out to Banton, rocking the 4-5, Pedro Martinez. That's yeah, a, yeah, baby. That's a great way to placate to the crowd. If you want to win some fans <laughs> over there, rock that 4-5. But... Uh, I think that's going to do it for, for this side. we got a whole other podcast coming up. So once again, for those of you listening to us on the audio version of the uh, of the podcast, you're going to hear coming up a new segment called Passing the Rock. It's a three-man weave, locked and loaded to get you covered up. For those of you watching us on YouTube, remember to check back in. Number one, go check our disc- check out the Discord. Come join us. Come have some fun. And then number two, we will be back on Tuesday night after the— That's right. Last chance for the Celtics to stay alive in the in-season tournament against the Chicago Bulls. Uh, YouTube for that will not be a live stream, but we will have something up late that night, early the next morning, to make sure that we have you guys covered for that game. So with that, this is me and Greg signing off. And on the other side, we've got the three-man weave.
3: Peace!
1: What's going on, everybody? It's your boy, Will Weir, locking in with the three-man weave. That means we got the coach, Greg Menakis, We've got the leader of the Taylor Gang, Adam Taylor, here, all present and ready to rock here on this Sunday morning as we record. Uh, For today's episode, we're going to do a new segment called Passing the Rock. And it may seem very familiar to a different segment that we've done in the past. Three things with three-man weave. It is the same. It's just rebranding, folks. Rebranding here. We're going to pass the rock around. But first, let me bring my guys in here. Greg, Adam, how are we doing this Sunday? Sunday morning and Sunday afternoon for you, Adam.
2: I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. Ready for, ready for the rebranding. Ready to pass the rock. And um, just... Interested to see what you guys came came into this pod with because I had like 10 different things that I could have talked about and they were all Celtics related. So I'm excited just to see, you know, where this conversation goes.
4: I'm very happy. It's a Sunday and there's basketball today. Um, I've got questions.
1: That's right. You've got questions. I hope Greg and I have answers for whatever your questions are. And I hope you Please. had any answers for whatever questions Greg and I might have. A uh, quick programming note. Uh, so if you're watching this on YouTube and you're looking for a recap of whatever happened in that Celtics Hawks game, go ahead, scroll down, game recaps. Myself, Greg, we'll have you covered post-game. I've listened to the audio version of this. We will have had that covered at the top of the podcast. But before we jump into passing the rock around, we do have a quick announcement that we want to make. The boys here with Green With Envy, we're starting a Discord page. We want to hear more, and we want to be more connected to the listeners of the show. We want to know more about what you're vibing with, what you're not vibing with, have more direct uh, conversations with you all. It can get a little bit cluttered on Twitter, Instagram. So we wanted to start this Discord space. Adam, can you just tell us a little bit more about what people can expect when they when they get into the Discord?
4: Yeah, so, like, you know, it's just a standard Discord channel. It's completely free, so there's no b- barrier of entry. We're not asking anybody for any money. We don't plan on asking anybody for any money. Just to preface that, because I know some people will be like, you need to subscribe to get... En-. No, if you look, scroll down into the description of this episode, the link will be there. If you jump in there, it's going to be other Celtics fans, other people that jive with the podcast. You know, some people would have come here from Twitter. Other people would have come here from maybe they were on Celtics blog when the show was there and they found it through that way. Instagram, people just from all over social media that just big Celtics fans that fuck with the show. Um, there's different channels available. So the Celtics talk, we do some trade chatter, some rumor mill, some news updates. If you join with the X's and O's stuff, I'll be posting some breakdowns in there that maybe I won't cover in written form or I won't be posting on social media. And then now and again, we will do some Q&As that are off-air, just on the the Discord channel. Sometimes it will be Will on his own, Greg on his own, me on my own. Maybe sometimes it's two or the three of us or three of us. But look, it's free, and it's just another way for us all to get to know you guys and girls and just to kind of build a community around the show. And obviously, then, if you're worried that you're going to miss episodes, we got you.
2: And if you are joining the Discord channel please when you join let us know that you came from the pod we would love to see how many pod listeners um end up in our discord channel so that we can kind of give you more um direct feedback and you know direct conversation based off of what we talk about in discord um but we want to see those pod listeners when they come into the discord please let us know you came from the pod and um that w- that would mean a lot
1: yeah, we're excited for it. So make sure that you guys you guys can find this link. It's going to be on all of our YouTube videos. It's going to be on every um, podcast that we post, Spotify, Apple. If you're one of these hipsters that has one of those other platforms, I don't really know what those look like, but I'm sure the links are going to be in there as well. So you can go down find that in the description. Uh, and then if you go to any of our bios from at Green MB Pod, Adam Taylor's, look at IG, look at Twitter, uh, we'll have them available in there as well, or they'll be on the link tree. So just make sure you're checking those out. We'll be promoting it more publicly, but we want to start here just with y'all the podcast means our little secret right now so we want to see who comes and joins us so come have some influence on the show come have some fun uh it'll be a good time with that yeah it's been a it's been a fucking long week i'm gonna be real so but with all with with thanksgiving it feels like the charlotte game the celtics played was like two weeks ago that was within the last couple of games that they played you know that was that was less than a week ago that they played charlotte in that brutal overtime loss so I feel like we got a lot of things between the Celtics and the NBA that we can really catch up on. So let's get going here with our Passing the Rock segment, just like you do in the three-man weave. Of course, we are the three-man weave, so it only makes sense. So we're going to do this kind of snake style here and until so we run out of stuff to talk about, we run out of stuff to pass the rock with. So, Greg, let's go to you, then we'll go to me, then we'll go to Adam. Adam, you'll go back-to-back with any topics that you might want to and then we'll just keep going until we feel like we run out of steam. So, Greg. us off. What you got for us?
2: You know what I'm going to talk about right off the jump. The Jalen Brown scapegoating has just got to stop. It's getting to an all time fever pitch. Um, Although I am a J.B. Stan, I do think that I am a realistic Stan. I'm not just going to sit there and tell you Jalen Brown's the greatest player on the Celtics. um, That he's a he's a perfect player. That doesn't need anything to work on. Jalen Brown has a lot to work on to reach uh, full potential. As we saw. Uh, Two games ago, Jalen Brown had arguably his best game as a Celtic all-around game with his defense, his playmaking, the two-man game with Porzingis, just making the right read throughout. We saw what Jalen Brown can be. Didn't see a lot of people giving him his flowers after that game. And then when he has such a horrible second half in, in the previous game... Um, against the magic, you know, all the haters start crawling out like, um, like all the freaking orcs when when they're going through the mines of Moria and, and Lord of the Rings. Right? It's just like, what what is it about Jalen Brown? That has made him so polarizing. Is it just the? Is it the contract? Is it his outspokenness just outside of the basketball court? Is this like the shut up and dribble crowd that's coming out for Jalen Brown? Like, what is it about Jalen Brown that has made him the new scapegoat in Boston? Because I don't think it's fair. Um, I don't think the criticism of Jalen Brown um, is is rational. I think that people are pretty polarized on Jalen Brown right now, and I I just was very. Uh, I I was upset after the last game to see how many people were just like, it's time to trade Jalen Brown again because he had a bad half.
4: Okay, so I feel like I'm a good juxtaposition here because I'm lower on Jalen Brown than most. I'm still higher on him than the majority of outspoken people. but In the grand scheme of things, I'm a bit lower on JB than most people. I like the fact that he's outspoken. I want him to continue doing that. I think that he's one of the, like, Leaders at the minute in encouraging athletes to use their voice—that's a good thing. It's not, not there should be no negatives associated with that. So I want to preface that to begin with. And other people are going to feel a different way, but for the most part, I think that everyone can see the value there. My issue is, and again, I'm not part of the trade gel and brand crowd either. But I feel like he's become more sticky this year. So by that I mean, you know, some tunnel vision kind of appears out of nowhere sometimes. Doesn't really flow within the offense consistently a lot of his shots come like, at the expense of the ball movement a lot of his mistakes come through on defense come through switching off and we've spoke about this at length i think he he thinks faster than he acts or he acts before thinking however it is and then for me one of the things that really put me off was I remember a few years back when he was like oh celtics fans love to call out the team now I'm calling you out we need you to be loud and stuff and i got it but it felt a little bit salty at the same time like why everyone's always calling us out, Jalen seems to be the one that it sometimes it feels like he doesn't like the the expectations and and what comes with being a player, and I think that rubbed a lot of the fan base up the wrong way a few years back, and mm-hmm. they've been now with this new contract and he's having a bit of an inconsistent start to the year. that's giving people a platform to air some frustrations out for me, I just think he needs to be played more within the system. That's the only downside for me personally.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think where to your question, where do these criticisms? Why do they come out, and why do they come out so you know so, so vehemently, right? Especially in a moment of of angst for for the Celtics, and it's it, I, I do think a big part of it this year is tied to the contract, right? I think whether it's fair or not, I think it's totally unfair, and this is something, Greg, you and I were, were shooting around yesterday. I was telling you, but it's like it. From the moment he signed it, he was never going to be able to live up to that contract. So I think holding that against him is something that is, is is completely unfair because it's the market rate, right? Like Mike Conley at one point was the highest paid player in basketball history. That was the market rate. Mike Conley has been a very good point guard in this league for years. No one's ever going to sit here and tell you that at any point in his career was he even the best point guard, never mind the best player in the league but that was the going rate at that time. And even next year, as because by the way, Jalen's contract hasn't even officially started yet. But next year, when that contract actually kicks in, I believe both Giannis and Anthony Davis' yearly value will actually surpass what Jalen's yearly value is, but just his total contract will still be the highest. So I, I do think that that's part of, and that's just, that's unfortunately kind of part of the history of of Boston, you sign a big contract, all of a sudden expectations change, right? I mean, you even look back to Al Horford when he first signed with the Celtics. We've used this example before. Greg and I living, you know, down here in Austin, Texas, before we had the podcast, you know, we were just watching Al in our own little bubble, just like, oh man, Al's Al's killing it right now. Look at the screens he set and look at the ways he's influencing the game on the boards. Look at the way that he's managing the defense, calling everything out in the back line. We were thrilled. We came home, I remember it was that first round series against the Bulls, and it felt like some of our close friends who we just didn't know at the time had been like somewhat warped their their minds towards like some of that Boston narrative of what he's got this big contract. Why isn't he 20 and 10 every night? That's never Al Horford's game. That was never going to be who he was, but because he got a, you know, I forget what it was, $150 million contract, $140 million contract. All of a sudden the expectation was this guy's going to play like Shaq. No, not, not every guy that has that contract plays in that way. So for Jalen Brown, I do think that that's always going to be a part of it. And I don't think that's fair. From what's actually happening, you know, a lot of the Jalen Brown conversation resurfaced with both Zach Lowe and Bill Simmons and Kevin O'Connor having conversations about Jalen Brown in the last week. Of course, that led to, Greg, as you talked about, his best game that he had all season against the Bucs and, and, you know, really the best six quarters when you include the first half. Or against Orlando, let's kind of forget that second half. But that those six <laughs> quarters of basketball were, were really, really good. And, you know, with that conversation, I think the thing that I look at with Jalen Brown is that it's still kind of figuring out where his spots are with this team. And he's developing that chemistry with Chris Stapps. But I still think it's a little bit of, and this is the Celtics as a whole when is it time for when one of these guys has it going or needs to step up and you need to reshuffle the deck for a particular game as to who's the top dog. I don't think they've quite figured that out yet. And I just think you're seeing some growing pains. And I do think for whatever reason, the, the light is shining a bit brighter on Jalen, probably in part to the contract.
2: Right. But I, th- I also think with Jalen, a couple things in the magic game, Right, Because that's where the most recent example, Jalen Brown getting tunnel vision, Jalen Brown pay- playing very poorly in that second half. He was not good. I described his performance as abysmal um, in the second half, and yet. People were still, you know, when I put out my grades on Twitter, people were like, "How do you not give Jalen an F?" It's like,
1: okay, like, <laughs> you he, he, a C minus or a D or something. I gave him a C minus because yeah. he, was not, <laughs> he was great in the first
2: half. He was great in the first. Hey, as someone who never got a C in their life in a report card, like a C minus is pretty bad. All right,
1: <laughs> easy with the humble brags over here. Easy.
2: <laughs> so I think I think with Jalen right against the Magic, my takeaway was that Tatum first of all didn't show up. Until the last five minutes of that game, right? He he had he had a basket on Jalen Suggs early in the game. They very quickly switched size onto JT, and then he didn't want the ball. Like the moment he saw Jonathan Isaac in front of him, he was like, "Ah, this reminds me of Andrew Wiggins in the finals. Don't give me the ball right now. I don't want it." And to me, Jalen, you know, normally he starts off the game so well in the first quarter. He's a great first quarter player, and at some point in the game, normally, you know late second quarter third quarter jason tatum kind of takes over and then does his thing towards the end of the game then the celtics are either up by 20 points and they blow a big lead which i'm sure we might talk about here or you know we, we um we end up like figuring out a way to, to pull it out down the stretch but with jb tatum didn't show up until the last five minutes of the game so You know, when you're playing against a team like the Magic, Derek White's kind of limited. Porzingis goes out. You're looking around, you're like, who can actually create against all this size and length? And I think that's where, like, having the system and going to the coaching and calling those timeouts to set something up um, is a possibility. But the Magic are so good on defense. To me, it felt like Jalen was looking around. Tatum didn't want the ball. Derek White couldn't really create against all that length. Porzingis goes out and Jalen's like, I guess I got to do it. I, you know, I'm not going to be scared to shoot the ball because nobody else really wants to shoot the ball right now against this team. Um, so to me, that's what it was with Jalen and Joe leaving Jalen in despite him airballing shots in the third quarter. You know what I mean? Like Jalen needed a break. He was tired and Missoula was like, he's the only guy that's really trying to do anything and can't even get a shot off without turning the ball over. So that's kind of how I saw that. And he missed every shot. I don't think most i thought most of those shots were bad shots in general Mm -hmm. like i wouldn't want those shots um just in a normal flow of the game but each game is its own entity and i felt like in the magic game that was kind of separate to me from all the other jalen brown issues it was like jalen looked around and said i kind of need to be the guy and then he had to create his own stuff and it just didn't go down in the second half so i didn't have quite as much of a problem with jalen brown in that magic game but i do think it was you know People, when you are looking for something specifically and looking for Jalen Brown tunnel vision, you could look at that game against the Magic and be like, oh God, Jalen Brown, like why are you you still doing all this stuff?
1: So real quick to that point, because this is one of the notes that I had here to potentially talk about, and it's while a lot of the conversation does focus on Jalen Brown, some deserve it, some not, Are we, should we be having more of a Jason Tatum conversation about why the Celtics have not looked so great over their last five games or so, right? Like if you look at the last five games from Jason Tatum, Greg, you talked about just anecdotally, he's not aggressive enough at certain times. Even the Charlotte game where he scored 45 points, you know, you look at the end of that game, we're running Sam Hauser, Drew Holiday, pick and roll. And like, I get it, that might be a coaching thing, but at the same time, like if you're Jason Tatum, you need to go demand the ball at a certain point at the end of that game and, and bring it home. This is your night. And we didn't really see that. And you look at the last five games from, from Tatum, plus minus, not the greatest statistic, but he's a negative in all five of the last games the Celtics have had. He had that one time in the previous games all throughout the season. In which he was a negative plus minus, and he's been plus minus king. Every every broadcast you watch on NBC Sports Boston, they're gonna tell you about the plus-minus king himself, Jason Tatum, and where everyone else in the Celtics ranks. And so you look at Tatum just over these last five games, he's only I say only because this is this is the area that he lives in, he's only averaging twenty-six points per game. You know, he's only uh four assists to three point six turnovers. Who does that sound like? That sounds a lot like one of the massive criticisms that Jalen Brown always gets. Well, he's one to one, turnover to assist. I mean, we're not really making that same you know stink over Jason Tatum having that in the stretch as well. And you know, he's only shooting the ball 19.2 points. Uh, excuse me, 19 times a game here, so that speaks a little bit to the aggressiveness of Jason Tatum. And so, one of my questions that I I, I was going to pose to you, and Adam, I'll, I'd like to hear your thoughts on it. You know, as much as there's a Jalen Brown conversation. You know, should there be more of a Jason Tatum needs to do more type conversation as well?
4: Yeah, I think that saying no would be disingenuous, and that shows a bias towards J, like towards not liking JB. And I don't think any of us on the show sit within that bias. Tatum's not been great. I think he's giving you a bit more defensively than what Brown is. I think recently, like Tatum's come up with some blocks. He's rotating quickly. He's locking down on switches. He's, uh, you know, he's really navigating screens quite well. Offensively, he has been a little bit more passive. He's not calling for the ball as much in the post. When he is getting into the post, he's kind of passing back out and then becoming a screener rather than trying to back down his guy, get to his spot more frequently. One of the main things that's been missing, and I know we've seen him, we saw that dunk that got him a tech and we've seen him hit a few months to jams, but he's not really driving the lane as much as he was to start the season. And that was a big difference for him. Everyone spoke about the post-ups. But one of the biggest changes was how frequently he was bully driving to the rim and you know, going through contact, absorbing contact, bouncing guys off those big shoulders and really funneling himself and forcing himself on that like low-line defense. We're not seeing that as frequently. And as you said, he's not calling for the ball. I'm never happy when he takes a dribble pull up from deep because that's just not his shot. Takes a fuckload of him throughout his career, but it's not his shot. He's a catch-and-shoot guy on the perimeter. And we're not really seeing him call for the ball there either. Part of it kind of feels like when the when the rhythm goes from the team, Tatum kind of ebbs and flows with that rhythm. And at the minute, the Celtics, are, as a unit, are out of rhythm. So Tatum's out of rhythm too. He's not the guy that gets you back into rhythm. He's the guy that you ride when you're in rhythm. and That's not great for the guy that's meant to be a number one guy, but that's just who he is.
2: Yeah, Adam, did you kind of see the same thing that I saw? Because I was going back and forth with uh, my old high school basketball coach, who is anti Jalen Brown, um, and I was like, dude, you can't put that game on JB. Like at some point, Tatum's the alpha on the team; he's the best player on the team against the Magic. Like at some point, he's got to step up and want the ball and go ahead and like you know the James Harden quote, like become the system, especially when Porzingis goes out. Did you see um, Jalen Brown deferring too much in that Magic game? I mean, I'm sorry, Jason Tatum deferring too much in that Magic game.
4: Yeah, and a lot of it, like Will mentioned, I think it was Will, it might have been you, actually. A lot of it was because Jonathan Isaac was there. And, you know, people forget how good Jonathan Isaac was before he went down with his seven gazillion injuries. He's like a... He's an all-defensive level guy when he's fully healthy and he's locked in. He's a
2: seven-foot Wiggins. That's who he is.
4: he's, He's a monster. And part of me feels like if Tatum's your alpha, not only should he be demanding the ball, he should be orchestrating screening actions to get cross matches, right? If you don't want Isaac on you, make Isaac have to switch. And if he stays with you, make him have to chase you, put him in motion, make him navigate, navigate on the perimeter. Mm -hmm. Don't just get the ball, go into a dribble package, realize it's not working. Now you can't back him down. Oh, well, forget this then someone else take the ball, your turn. That's not what this team was doing at the start of the season. You make the guy work, you make him switch, you make him navigate, And then you attack the spaces that are there. Tatum hasn't done that for a few games now, but the Isaac one was definitely the most telling there was like, hey, if you're not demanding the ball, if you're not demanding those mismatches, creating, like being the guy, as you said, being the system. If you want a screen, call for a screen. If it's not where you want it, escape dribble out and ask for it to be reset. We didn't see any of that. And part of that is a lack of patience from Boston
1: yeah it's funny you mentioned that because as, as i was watching that game there were a handful of possessions where and i know you mentioned you referenced harden earlier but it, it felt a little harden-esque where tatum did try to get to that dribble package like you talked about realized it wasn't working and then does that harden quick side pass to the corner like all right i don't want this anymore i can't do anything and it's like okay cool what does that do for our team like what th- yes you, you that's a pass but that's a it's a non-progressive pass right like there's no there's nothing that comes off of that other than you just giving the ball to someone else probably probably a Sam Hauser or maybe a Jalen Brown in a bad position with less time on the shot clock in the corner, less room to be able to do something. So you're, you're just hurting yourself. You're hurting your team. It's, it's all around just a negative possession. And it felt like that happened a couple times while I was watching, you know, that, that Celtics magic game. And I think ultimately this just comes down to, you know, it, it's a five game stretch. So once again, I don't think this is anything to go crazy about, but as this team is figuring it out, as maybe Chris Stapps is out for a couple games, looks like he's going to be okay with that calf injury. You know, saw a message uh, on Instagram that he posted that he got good news. He is out for the game that's happening Sunday night against the Hawks. We'll see. But with that, you know, Tatum we talked about preseason this is the Tatum MVP campaign this has not been a good stretch for the MVP campaign and so Tatum needs to get back to being that guy that that is in that MVP conversation because and this is was part of what uh, I think it was Kevin O'Connor said with with Bill Simmons is that yeah Jalen Brown can be better but Jalen Brown might might be you know who he is and you're going to get some really great you're going to get a few bad but ultimately it's going to be more positive than negative but where this team is going to go is ultimately going to be on JT's shoulders and i think that's part of what we're seeing in this stretch that he just he just needs to be better even if he's not been horrible he just needs to be better and that's 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 where you're at if you're a superstar that's the burden you bear
2: yeah. Um I know we're doing this new segment, we passing the rock. So who are we passing the rock to at let's, this point?
1: Let's pass the rock to Adam, because I basically <laughs> jumped in off of one of your points. So, so okay. yeah, I, I kind of left that as a hanging chat there. I was like, let's see if anyone else has anything else to say about Tatum, but I think we've we've resolved that that point. So so Adam, the, the rock is in uh is in your court. What you got?
4: So I'm still going off the stuff that we, we air quote learned or came away with from the magic game. So I wanna focus on the Luke Cornet kind of Narrative that's lying around there at the moment. Do whether the Celtics need an upgrade in, in the middle of the floor, whether a trade needs to happen. Kristaps Pausingus goes down. Now it hurt Boston more that they'd started this game as a double big lineup anyway. Because if Pausingus goes down and you're starting single big, you just inject out Horford into that starting five. Horford is already there. Obviously Luke Cornett steps up into a bigger role the minute you go double big, and now his role goes even bigger because you're playing single bigs and he's the second big. I don't think I think Cornet's had a few good games on the on the on the bounce. I don't think he's been terrible. He's a good dribble handoff initiator. He's a reliable screener. I don't understand why he doesn't shoot from deep anymore. Like that doesn't make sense to me because early in his career he was, I wouldn't say reliable, but he could knock down.
1: He came Please. in as a
4: stretch five. That was his well, kind of reputation.
2: Adam, like, I, I apologize for interrupting your point, but do you think, like, for me, when I watch Cornette shoot, I feel like he developed. he's developed a hitch in his shot. Even yeah, at, I mean, we don't
4: see him shoot enough for me to have an opinion, man. I can't When was the last time yeah. he took a jumper? Do you know what I mean? But it definitely felt like that. Like, it was mechanical. There was a load up as well. Like, it wasn't smooth. It was... A, get there, then we're going to generate the power, and then there was a hitch at the end, but it definitely felt like it was segmented, and anyone that shoots with a segmented form is so easy to block, and so easy to run off the line, because it's just all about timing. He is 7 too. <laughs> Gary Payton, Gary Payton, the second, just, just like swiped like away Wembenyama. It. Ben yeah. it was like an 18-foot <laughs> difference between both guys. It was like having fucking the guy, what's it called? You ever seen B-movie? It's like having the B-block Wembenyama. You know what I mean? <laughs> like the, the size difference is incredible. But there is a question whether the Celtics need to find an upgrade at the five. Just as that third big, do you think is Cornet that guy? Should they have tried more to get, Daniel Tice, I know you couldn't really pick him. Could you have got Daniel Tice? Yeah, Yeah. because he wasn't making more than the.
1: I think he was around. He's around. uh, He he was like twelve million. I think is what his contract. Twelve or thirteen. So it is a little bit more than you would think. So it it would have been basically like. As a
4: second apron team, as a second apron team, you can only get guys that were, if they've been waived, as long as they were earning less than the. well, yeah, once he, got, once he
3: got once
1: waived, I don't think we could have got him. But I'm talking yeah, about for, for trading for it, him, we might have been able to. I think, I think he was
4: marginally different. under the mid-level. I think you could have because the Clippers are a second tax team too. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they picked him up. They're under the exact same restrictions as the Celtics, right? Could Tice have been any different? I don't think so. I think Luke Kornet gives you a similar impact to Tice, but with more size, probably a, bet- a bit of a better um, pick and roll defender as well. But maybe you need a bruiser because it yeah, well, has got bullied. He,
2: yeah, I, I agree. But I also think Cornette, like when we're fully healthy, I think Cornette playing that eight to 10 minute off the bench role is fine right? But the moment you saw Porzingis go out and now Cornet has to be on the court because we committed to double big to combat the, the magic size and physicality. And then they ended up just taking advantage of him and driving at him every time. Uh, you know, I thought Cornette got exposed in the fourth quarter, but that's not who he's going to be, you know, at any point when the Celtics are fully healthy. It's just a question. If somebody goes down, can Cornette be, can elevate his game into the second big and he's never going to be the second big, right? So like, I, that's the question to me is do we need somebody because horford's old and porzingis is injury prone i mean
1: and that's I, the
4: question that's the question right to me this was the
1: glaring hole of grant williams right that's that's what screamed yeah. to me in this game he's a small ball five he can also play you know with al or kp if one of them is out and be you know elevated and he and, you know he would be in that rotation but of course financially that th- th- that was a tough decision but I, I think this kind of leads me back to the conversation we had uh, a few weeks ago when we were debating, you know, do you go all in for, for Alex Caruso, right? Because that's it would it'd probably take you two first-round picks, Peyton and whatever. And, you know, those, those first-round picks may have protections, whatever. But Caruso's going to drive probably more of a return than whatever they get for Zach Levine, which is crazy to kind of think about. But that is definitely a, a possibility. And so this is where I think, Greg, you nailed it. If Cornett's playing eight to ten minutes, we're golden. Like there's, there's no problem. Like there's no need to sweat. Where you start to sweat is if in a big situation or a big stretch of the season or when you get to the playoffs. If Porzingis or Al has to be out for a few games, can you get by with the team as currently constructed and Luke elevating to his time frame, or you know trying to find? I don't even. I don't really know what you do because there is not really a small ball five for this team to go to if they need to just yeah. buy some time. And so I, I don't know what the trade market looks like, but this is an area where I think with the limited resources Brad's going to have, he I, I think this would be the first area I look to to get creative and try to find a solution on the trade market. What that is, I really don't know because it's it's, it's really tight with the confines. The Celtics have to work with them.
2: But I think the, the question of like, should we go after Caruso or go after Big and like what happens if one of our big goes down and we did get caruso instead of a big that only com- that only becomes a problem against certain matchups and i think the the big thing with the magic is they're just such a bad matchup for the team because they're just so big and so physical there aren't too many teams quite like the magic in the rest of the east right even milwaukee even though they're huge like their size is just like a different type of size and it's not their entire um you know they have dame lillard out on the court right you can always exploit a dame lillard the Magic don't really have anybody to exploit. So like if we were to trade for a big versus a Caruso, I think Caruso, you know, if against the against the Heat, for example, say Porzingis goes down or Horford goes down, I think that we can slide a Caruso into our best five there and be fine with it because the Heat aren't a big team right? They're, they're pretty small. Even Bam Adebayo is six, nine. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's just certain teams in which that lack of depth at the, at the big man position could be a problem. And that's the issue though. It's like in the worst case scenario, do, does Joe have all of the pieces that he can throw out there on the chessboard? You know, if, if somebody goes down, if our queen gets taken off the board early in the game, are we able to still figure out a way to get the other team in a checkmate?
4: Here's a question, just to kind of change the the narrative a little bit. And it's a comment from someone on Celtics blog I saw yesterday. If you watch, if you're on the fence, right? You're you're an absolute, you're in the middle. You don't support the Celtics. You don't support the Magic. And you were asked, which team would you say plays a championship-winning brand of basketball? Which one would you choose? Just based off of that game. Based off of that game, but based off of like the systems that they're implementing as well.
1: I mean, I haven't watched enough Magic games this year, front to back, to make you know because I've I've just seen too much of the Celtics. But based off of that mm-hmm. game, you know, it, I mean, you would say the Magic. I mean, that's that's a pretty yeah. a, a pretty obvious one. But also, I mean, just from you can you can see the way the Magic are trending right now, like this, you know. They play out.
4: such a physical brand though right yeah. and this is and this is the Kryptonite that we've seen with the Celtics that the heat play physically bust and fold the Lakers will play physically when we see them later in the season. How Boston responds there will really dictate how the city and sports radio decides to treat this team for the rest of the year. you fold it you know what I mean the magic play physically you can out hustle the bucks because as you said it's a different type of size they're not playing that physicality the type of physicality that really rattles Boston. The Pistons a few years back used to give Boston problems because they could rattle you physically. Andre Drummond feasts every time he plays against Boston because they rattle them physically. The length isn't the problem as much as it is the being willing to kind of slap someone in the mouth and bully them around a little bit. And A really good instance of that was that banquero screen on Derek White. Like if White hadn't ever had his arm there, he still would have got knocked to the floor. It would have rocked him, but he just wouldn't have had the injury. So it wouldn't have become such a prevalent talking point for us. But that's the way they came into the game. We're going to bully them. We're going to push them around. And part of that is it's a championship type of mentality. It's that blue collar hockey for a, a Mighty Ducks free reference. They clear up the trash around the rim. Um <laughs>
2: You know what I'm saying? So I'm just like... That's a great scene. It's a great scene. But yeah, (laughs) and even like, you know, with the physicality, think about when Tatum had... the had not Mo Franz. He had Franz in the post, right? And he went to he hit him in the he hit him in the chest a couple times that left shoulder, and tried to do his little spin back to the baseline and finish over size. And and v- Wagner blocked it. And he sent he sent his shit. And it's just like a different type of physicality, right? And Tatum, when he when he goes up at the, against a guy in the post that he can't out physical, like what is the counter? You know, and and if if we don't have that, if we can't just go to a Tatum in the post, if all of a sudden Drew Holiday finds himself in a switch and he's like, oh, I've got a six seven guy on me, I don't have a six two guy on me, I can't exploit him in the post. What are we going to do? You know, and that that brings me to another point that I, you know, if we're still passing the rock around here, we are. It's, but
1: before you go, Greg, let's take okay. let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and we'll we'll hit the next point.
2: Okay, we're back. Um, Porzingis, I wanted to, I wanted to get into Porzingis. Okay. I know we, I know we just got hurt, but the Porzingis usage rate question I think needs, needs to be asked. He's at his career low usage rate at this point. He's at 22.6%. His lowest usage rate before this season was his second year in the league with the Knicks, twenty four point three. Last year, um, he was at twenty seven point three. Year before, twenty nine point four. Twenty two point two is is pretty low for Porzingis. He's shown an ability to you know with the two game two man game with Jalen Brown, the ability to make to make passes. He's been a great post up guy. Why are we not taking advantage of Kristaps Porzingis being just? a a better player than I think a lot of Celtics fans were expecting, like the casual fan. You know, me, Will, at the beginning of the year, I said by the end of the season, everyone's going to realize he's the second best player on the team. Mm-hmm. At what point are we going to trust Porzingis to do more for this team against bad matchups, so, and just in general?
1: So this is something I was, I was kind of alluding to earlier that I think is part of the issue with of like with Jalen Brown trying to figure out where he fits in is that the Celtics are trying to be a little bit too nice at times about equal opportunity. You get this much and then you get this much Tatum, just reduce a little bit Jalen a little bit. He, you know what I mean? They're trying to kind of figure that out. And I think with Porzingis, you're right. He's been able to do more. I think it, that fucking dime he had to, to Jalen Brown the other night against the magic. That was one of the best passes I've, I've seen a big man on the Celtics make in a long time. And you know, we praised Al Horford's passing. We've praised Rob Williams passing, you know, in the past and you know, with Porzingis, what you're saying, Greg, to me, the Memphis game has continued to stick out to me, even though the Celtics won this game. That was a game where Porzingis was dominating. He was 9 of 13. I think he was like 7 of 9 in the first half. And that's a game where, to your point, when they have the mismatch with with Porzingis, you need to fucking hammer that, right? Like, that game was 102 to 100, came down to the wire. The, The Grizzlies played extremely scrappy. They had no answer for Chris Stapp's Porzingis. Biyombo and Jaron Jackson, they're two big guys. We're in out of foul trouble the whole night. And, you know, we talked about them having David Roddy, Kenny Lofton, just jumbo guys who are strong, but they're also like six six, And Porzingis can turn and shoot over the top of them from anywhere in the mid-range. And so it, it's games like that where, you know, Porzingis has 13 shots. He needs 22. He needs 20 plus in that in that particular type of game. And this is where I think, you know, right now, and I'm trying to pull it up here, this is where I think the shot selection or the shot amount needs to, shot distribution needs to get a little bit closer, where Jalen's at about 18 and Chris Stapps is just under about 12. And maybe that needs to start getting a little bit closer. And I think that's one of my frustrations sometimes with early on with the Celtics team is, if a guy, and it's specifically mostly related around Chris Stapps, where if he has it going, or if he has the mismatch, or if the whether it's him and JB or him and JT in that pick and roll, which I feel like we've seen a little bit less of over the last several games, we've, we've been focusing kind of on that JB KP chemistry. Like, we need to just keep going to that. Like, like we need to hammer some of these schemes that Porzingis is creating these mismatch mismatches in. We need to go to them more until they stop working. And I think there's a little bit of a reluctance to try to feed everybody rather than just sticking with certain things that that are working. And that's a Missoula call. I think this ends up being you know something that, that falls on Joe Missoula's plate.
4: I don't I think it's just with KP though, right? Like I think we've seen Tatum have a hot hand and then barely get fed in the second half. I think we've seen Jalen Brown have a hot hand and then barely get fed. And then there's been other times where they're force feeding guys that are cold. There's been times where Paul Zingas has had mismatches all night long, as you said, and he's not getting the ball. But then there's times where he's not got a mismatch and they're force feeding him to try and find ways to force mismatches. And I think you are being, I think part of the reason is how easy is it to go and tell Jalen Brown, who is going to be the guy that gets told this, by the way, hey, you're kind of the third guy now instead of the second guy and you're going to need to take a serious step back right now we want you to be the andrew wiggins for the celtic athletic wiggins that's what you're going to be now a free and d wing and you're going to score you're going to drive you're going to shoot off the catch but nine times out of 10 the offense is going to jb uh, sorry jt and kp how easy is that to go and sell someone that's literally about to become the most expensive player in the league that's also the guy catching the most heat off the fan base. And now you're going to hit his confidence by demoting him in terms of offensive hierarchy. It needs to be done and it should be done, but that could have so many kind of ramifications on JB's winningness and JB's motivation during games. He's already prone to making mistakes. Do you really want him overthinking when he should pass versus when he should drive? He's already making adjustments, playing this type of way, you know, and being more of a a scorer rather than a playmaker, with the exception of the Milwaukee game, obviously. How do you go about that without fucking with the guy? And without risking him asking out next season?
2: But I think that's why the the two man game chemistry between them is so important as well, because now you're looking, you're not looking at Jalen Brown as necessarily deferring to Porzingis, but it's utilizing Porzingis to make the game easier for you. And I think it's just like a mindset shift. It's like if we play through Porzingis and Porzingis and Brown have this chemistry and they have this two man game, now it's not Jalen Brown like I think it's selling Jalen hey you're going to get buckets you're still going to get a lot of shots they're just going to come in different ways but we're not expecting you to, to necessarily have to score in isolation think about it more as the way Jamal Murray plays off of Jokic if he can make that change in his brain to using utilizing KP and continuing that budding friendship on and off the court I think that's an easier sell than just being like hey Jalen take a backseat to Porzingis it's hey Jalen you're going to utilize Elias Porzingis to make your life a lot easier. And I think that's why it's so important to get those reps and continue to build and not overreact on a game-to-game basis Mm -hmm. because it's going to take them some time to develop that chemistry. And then, you know, Will, to your point, It is interesting that we haven't quite seen as much Tatum in Porzingis pick and roll, right? The first game of the year when we saw that down the stretch, like, oh, that's unstoppable. Like, no team is going to be able to deal with that two-man game. We haven't really seen that much because they've been focusing so much on the Brown and Porzingis uh, chemistry as well. But another thing with Porzingis is he's been really struggling from three, you know, Uh, and he's been terrible from three and i think part of the reason for that is because so much of what he's doing is just like kind of being utilized as a pick and pop guy versus hey let kp eat a little bit in the mid post let's get him going in the post so that he can then feel better about his shot versus just play the al horford role and shoot Eight threes a game, but that, those are only eight shots you're getting. You know, get Porzingis. Think about the, you know, when Porzingis went crazy against the Celtics last year, it wasn't just him shooting three pointers, right? He was taking advantage of Marcus Smart in the mid post. He was taking advantage of Jalen in the mid post. There's ways that we can weaponize uh, Chris Saps Porzingis to make his life a little easier so that those three pointers come a little bit more within the flow while he
4: has a
1: rhythm. Yeah, just uh, on that three pointer uh, slump he's in right now, 16% over the
4: last five games. Yeah. Lovely. That's what I don't <laughs> want to see. Right. Here's a question for you. So I've got up the assist numbers here. Who's passed to who the most and made buckets? Who do you think has the most assists to Porzingis and the Celtics? I'm gonna say Jalen Brown.
2: Yeah, I would say JB. Drew Holiday.
4: Marginally. Jalen <laughs> Brown's got 21. Drew Holiday's got 25. Okay. Who do you think Porzingis has assisted the most? I'm going to go Jalen Brown. I would
1: say Jalen Brown. we were talking a lot about their two man game. Yeah.
4: Jason Tatum. Interesting. Okay. He's, he's, is,
1: is it a wide. Is it a wide.
4: Uh, not really. He's, he's dished out 12 assists to Tatum. He's dished out nine to Jalen. Yeah. Okay. So Tatum has assisted Paul Zingas on 12 buckets. Brown has assisted him on 21. Drew has assisted him on 25. Um, Paul Zingas has also. Assist. He, he, yeah, it's Jack, T- Brown and Tatum are the ones receiving the ball from Paul Zingas the most. He's only dished out one assist to Holiday, one to Hawford, two to White, one to Pritchard, two to Sam Hauser. With that being said, who do you think is dishing out the most assists to Drew Holiday? Ooh, that's a good one. I'd say Tatum. Yeah,
1: yeah, I mean, I, yeah. That's the answer, is Jason Tatum.
4: Jason Tatum is also the guy that's feeding Houser the most by a considerable margin followed Mm -hmm. by Al Horford. Jalen Brown, I find, doesn't really look for corner shooters on his drives.
2: Um, <laughs> I I would say this is probably the biggest, uh, the most salient point about Jalen Brown and like his tunnel vision is the lack of passing to corner shooters, especially <laughs> Sam Hauser. Yeah. It oh drives God. me fucking insane. I'm like, dude, he's wide. Sam Hauser is wide open almost every single time Jalen Brown has a ball. He yeah. just
1: never sees mm-hmm.
4: him. He's got three assists to Sam Hauser on the season. That one of them being right. up One of oh, them yeah, being the, up. Yeah,
1: yeah. locked yeah. eyes, and I said, "Fuck it."
4: <laughs> Free assist to Peyton Pritchard, who's usually floor spacing he doesn't really kick out to shooters that way. he needs a roll man unless he's in the lane it, and gets
1: in trouble in midair and he's to throw it back out,
4: yeah, but usually then it's going back out to a ref. Right right right, yeah. <laughs> or it's going the other way in transition yeah <laughs>
1: like,
2: yeah and that's the biggest difference between tatum and brown right is T- tatum he sees the entire floor and brown doesn't brown sees a couple of things on, on well the you court. highlighted and that
1: you... a couple episodes ago right like right. With, with him and porzingis he's finally starting to get a little bit more comfortable and hey my first read's not there be patient maybe the second read's there mm-hmm. and so we're slowly starting to see that develop and, and greg as you were kind of going through you know how this team is is setting up the the foundation or the building blocks for ideally what they want to see long-term, it kind of reminded me of the Ime Udoka season. And early on, the defense just, just, we didn't quite, you know, whether it was the switches, we were doing it at the wrong time, trying to figure out what was happening. You saw some of the, you know, the growing pains in real time as it was happening. And obviously we saw Ime Odoka's, you know, coaching growing pains happening as well. And so it makes me, but then obviously that defense was incredible that, that made that run to the finals and it took time to kind of build it up. They obviously they need to change personnel. That was part of it. But for me, it's, uh, I do wonder if a little bit of, watching some of these mistakes early on will ultimately, and this is looking at it, you know, glass half full. Ultimately, those are going to be the mistakes you make now. You'll improve and benefit from later on in the season because you're, you're, we're just seeing the growing pains now. And so then they'll kind of figure out some of these things about how to, you know, balance this entire roster and team. Cause it is still only what 15 games or yeah, 15, 15 or 16 games into what is, you know, a brand new grouping of these four guys that are your main four still really getting to learn each other. And I think that's something that we also have to factor in when we think about, you know, sometimes it looks great. Sometimes it looks a little questionable and it, it's still a figuring out process.
4: Have you seen the video on, that goes around social media sometimes of that sucker, su- sucker coach and he's like a sometimes maybe good, sometimes maybe shit Have you seen that one? <laughs> not,
1: I have not, but I like your impression so. of it. Though. I'll tell you that much. <laughs>
4: I'm gonna send it to you because whenever I'm watching the Celtics and they lose, I always replay that in my head. I'm like, sometimes might be good, sometimes might <laughs> be.
2: Hey, Adam, um, did did you have another point to make off the 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 passes and the assists?
4: Uh, not really. No, I was just kind of putting out there that I wanted to just make a point that there is a two-man game forming between Brian and Porzingis, but it's not as prevalent in terms of creating scoring as what it kind of feels like. Do you know what I mean? Like, there is yeah. a two-man game there, but p- there's also a two-man game between Tatum and Porzingis. It's just not as explosive in terms of the way the, the baskets are finished, and, you know, Tatum right. goes about his scoring profile a little bit different. There's also a little bit of a, a two-man game going on between, who was it? It was Drew Holiday and somebody. And Tatum, um, that Tatum yeah, and like that's happening as well, and that's what you need, right? You need two man games between multiple guys across multiple different mm-hmm. parts of the floor. So the the Brown and Porzingis one is one you can lean on, but again, I feel like that's such a straight line kind of ram it down your throat because no one's kicking out to corner shooters out of those two guys. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? That You need to have a little bit more flexibility. And one of the things I put in my takeaways on Saturday was there's no counters in this team at all like if, if you shut down what they're doing if you shut down route one there's no route b no route two you know i mean everything just falls apart and hopefully as they develop some more two-man games and they start to learn how to flow into one two-man action into a second mm-hmm. maybe we'll start to see some some more but at the moment it's definitely a new team that's kind of been thrown together and it was kind of last minute as well with the, with the drew holiday mm-hmm. edition right and you right. know because it looked good at the beginning People thought it was going to be good all the way through, and it's just that's not how it works.
2: Yeah, yeah, there's going to be growing pains. You know, I would be interested to go back and watch all of the Porzingis to Tatum um, assists at this point in the year, because to your point, Adam, the Porzingis to Brown assists and the Brown to Porzingis assists are very loud in their highlight plays, right? With Tatum, I I just like don't I in my head I can't envision what a Porzingis to Tatum pass even looks like (laughs) right now right (laughs) like with with porzingis and brown you know how it's happening it's in that empty Mm -hmm. side two-man game that they're that they're running um with with tatum and porzingis i I can't even really picture it because they have seemingly been emphasizing the holiday and tatum pairing right they come off the court at the same time and that first sub and all that stuff too um yeah it's interesting i i I really like those um those assist numbers
4: the only person to assist tatum more than porzingis is d white just to throw that out there, the, e. only, e. the man. The yeah, the only person. Even Drew Holiday's assisted Tatum less than Paul Zingas, not by a lot, but yeah. you know.
1: All right. Well, hey, that's, that's something we'll keep an eye on here, just to see. I, I like the idea though of developing all those different two-man games across the spectrum. Right, so that you're not just stuck in. Hey, this is our one go-to. Now we have nothing. Um, all right, I got something else that I want to go to here for us, and somebody's got to do it. Well, you know what that means. It's the in-season tournament music, and let's be real. We might be running out of time quicker than we thought to be able to play that (laughs) because after the Celtics got their ass kicked by Orlando, they've put themselves in a really tough position that Tuesday night, they're still alive when they play uh, Chicago in the in-season tournament, but they're going to need a lot to happen for them to continue. So just to lay it out real quick, if the Celtics still want to win, Group East C, I believe is their correct group. They're going to need to beat the Bulls by 23 points or more, and then also hope that Brooklyn beats Toronto, but by less than, I believe it's nine points, (laughs) is what they need to happen to win their group. And then if they want to get one of the wild cards, which could happen if Toronto is to beat Brooklyn, Celtics would then lose the tiebreaker to Orlando they would just need to beat by Chicago as much as possible. And there's like a million different scenarios in which the Knicks lose or Miami loses or Milwaukee or Cleveland. And then you got to look at the point differential and that's, it's too much to think of, but
2: Forsberg had a really good tweet laying it out.
1: Yeah. There's, there's a couple out there that, that will, will give you each individual scenario for Tuesday night. We'll make sure we, we get those posted for you. Uh, but I have a question just for you guys. Are we having fun yet? Do you guys like the NCs in- now that we actually have a sample set, of the in-season tournament. We're coming up on the last night of pool play. What are your actual thoughts now that you've seen the product? Not just here's what I think it could be in theory, but what are your actual thoughts on, on what we've seen so far?
4: I'm English. I'm used to cup style games. I'm also used to it in basketball from EuroLeague. So I knew this was going to be fun. I didn't expect it to be as competitive as what it has been. I'm a big fan of the courts. obviously I'm not a fan that people keep slipping over they need to figure a way to fix that shit but overall I'm all in for it man and I think that this is the first season so obviously it's going to get refined it's going to become better players are going you know once this year's winners are out in Vegas during the summer spending their winnings on whatever they want to spend their winnings on And everyone else sees them like, and they're like, oh, we're just spending that in season tournament money. This is like free money. Like Jason Tatum's mom isn't going to try and say that's NBA money. You can't spend that. (laughs) He's going to be able to go do what he wants to do. Uh, I think that players are really going to ramp up. So, Greg, you got a tweet on the screen.
2: Yeah, this is just uh, the Chris Forsberg tweet that I was referencing. So, you know, those of you that are watching on YouTube, just this is just a, a visual anchor chart for you. Go back to my teacher days so that you can go ahead and read this at, at your leisure. Um, you know, the thing that's interesting to me about the in-season tournament that I'm just now figuring out is I looked at the Celtics schedule because we're about to go on this homestand. And I was like, in, oh, in, the
1: Celtics. In quotation, season. by the way, homestand. Why Why do you say that? Well, I think it's going to be the point you're getting to. I was trying to set you up here but continue we'll, okay. we'll your
2: point, but yeah. yeah well they, I, that's the thing I don't know how they're how it's gonna how it's gonna work so as the in-season tournament is going on the Celtics are gonna have to if they don't make the tournament are gonna have to play two games outside of their actual scheduled games because they have seven a seven game homestand coming up but then on December 6th and December 8th they also have to play Two games against some of the other 22 teams that don't make the tournament. So, this to me is where I'm, I'm, I'm getting a little lost with the in-season tournament. You know, I've been a big fan of it, but now that I see, I looked at the schedule and I was like, "Wait, they have two weeks off?" And then I I read into it a little bit more. Yeah. I had to do a whole bunch of Google search and I ended up on NBA.com where it laid out all the uh, you know the the in-season tournament explained page. And I was like, "Oh, okay, so that makes sense. They're going to have to play on December sixth and December eighth against two of the team against two teams that don't make the tournament." But to me, this is like down the road. How is the NBA going to then? now utilize this to make it more fun because you could do some sort of like full league um, single elimination tournament once people are used to the idea of the in-season tournament, maybe they can will to your point that you made um, a couple pods ago. it's like the whole month of November is the in-season tournament and they start to find more ways to get creative with it now that people are used to it and they're not like, oh my god, in-season tournament how like how is that gonna work which is kind of where I'm at now. <laughs> 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 like, I'm I, don't, I don't get it anymore um, but I do I do think overall it's been a success.
1: Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And like I said, that's why I was saying you know, in quotation, seven-game homestand, because there's in the, after these next three games, we don't really know if it's a continuous homestand. I think at least one of those games, if the if the Celtics don't make the uh, in-season tournament knockout rounds, I think at least one of those was going to have to be on the road. L- like you said, I don't really know how that part works. We'll, I know it will be with the other East teams that don't make the knockout rounds, but who it will be and where it will be, I have no freaking clue. I'm just going to wait and see what happens on that rather than have to try to figure all that out. But yeah, I think there's no doubt Out that this has been has been a success so far. Like it's it certainly needs to get cleaned up. Just as far as now, even those of us that have been talking about it and accidentally turning into hype men for it, even if like myself, who was not skeptical but was just like, yeah, let's see what happens. You know, like it's it's hard to figure out now for those of us that are even in the weeds of this on like a day to day basis. That makes it tough to be like, oh, hey, there's a so should be so much universal commercial appeal when people who talk about it on podcasts and write about it, and we're still kind of debating how it works within ourselves. Like, how can you then share that with your fan group that might be like, oh, okay, I want to turn it, tune in. Give me the quick elevator pitch. Well, have you heard about point differential? You know, like that's, that's not going to be like the the easiest transition to it. Uh, but I think it's been a lot of fun, and you know, I, I think the NBA is getting a little bit of what it wanted which is you know as we head into tuesday night the last night of pool play it's kind of a mixed bag of teams that you will expect to be there at the end of the season and teams that are kind of up and coming so if you look at the east right now the four teams as it currently stands that would be in the knockout rounds indiana surprise and up and coming milwaukee people expect to be there at the end orlando we've talked a lot about them Kind of a surprise, but also definitely certainly on the up and coming. And then you have the New York Knicks, which kind of always fall like in that, yeah, they're good, but you know, maybe they, how People can will they tune take in. the next step? Exactly. And then you look at the West and you get the Lakers, who are a hilarious plus 74 in season tournament games, just a ridiculous number. People expect them to be at the end. Sacramento, they were the darlings last year. This year, kind of a little bit more middle of the pack. New Orleans, everybody wants to say, hey, can Zion and Ingram play together? No one knows. They've been on the same team for three years. That's still a massive mystery. Maybe let's put it on the biggest stages, biggest stages for November, December, and let's see what happens. And then you got Phoenix, who still has, doesn't even have Bradley Beal for, for a single game yet, and they're in that wild card spot. So it's an interesting mix, and I think it's kind of what the NBA wanted is you get Giannis, you get LeBron, but then you get Paolo, and you get De'Aaron Fox, you get Dion Williamson, so you have this Tyrese Halliburton. You get Halliburton. Yeah, you have this nice mix of the old guard the new guard and some of the underappreciated guys all kind of coming together so i i think so far for the nba they have to feel pretty good other than the the courts being
4: slippery uh that this has been a pretty big success for them i really like the in-season tournament
1: yeah it's been fun man it's it's hard to find anything against it uh the one thing that i when greg and i first talked about is it, it like are there going to be big games that really translate to you know, I don't know, man. Do you see the way Apollo balled out in that semifinal in Vegas? Like TBD, but of course, that's that's with anything that's new, you kind of have to wait and see. But I think the from a on, on the fun meter, it's a ten or a nine, nine or ten. Like it, it's it's up there. A little confusing, but uh, but I think they'll I think they'll figure that out. Uh, all right, we, we've gone kind of long here, but I, I'm having fun. This has been a great great conversation with you guys. Do we want to hit any other topics here, or are we ready to wrap this up? How we feeling?
2: If I had a whistle, I'd blow it to get everybody down on the baseline. End of practice. End of the three-man weave. Felt good
4: about
1: this. Passing the rock. <laughs> it was fun.
4: Oh yeah, I'm out of steam. I've ran many This was like running suicides in the yeah. gym, dude. I'm done. I'm done.
1: Yeah, I feel you. We got we got to save it here. We'll save some gas in the tank here for the next time we do passing the rock, which we will be doing uh, throughout the season. Uh, but just as a quick reminder for those of you uh, watching us on YouTube, and if you're listening on uh, on the audio on the audio uh, portion. Via Spotify, uh, Apple Podcast, whatever. Discord page. Come join us. Come hang out. Come have fun. Link is going to be in the bio or, or should be in the description of the YouTube, going to be in the description of wherever it is that you listen to your podcast. Come sign up. Come have some fun. If you're watching on YouTube, Greg has that pulled up for you right now. Make sure that you join that space. Come hang out with us. It's going to be a lot of fun, and we're going to continue to grow this throughout the year. Uh, And the larger we get, the more opportunities we're going to have to do some Discord-specific type things. So stay tuned for that. But that's going to be a wrap for this episode of the Three Man Weave here on Green with Envy. It's your boy, Will Weir. It's the coach, Greg Manakis. It's the chief and leader of the Taylor Gang, Adam Taylor himself. Greg, any final thoughts? And then let us know uh, what uh, what we're going to hear on the way out. Black Sheep Optimist, get this high. Peace, everybody. Peace. Every time I get this high, I
3: lose my mind it don't take much, no more. Until I hit Every time I get this high, it's you I find It don't take much no more Until I'm at your door You cut
2: me to my core, baby, what can I say? You got me on the floor, you know I came to play I know I shouldn't, but you seem to take my pain away And every time I score, Jason Tatum fade away I close my eyes and I'm floating your river